0: Well, good morning. It is great to have you guys here this morning. Uh, welcome to Southwood if this is your first time. We're going to actually be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning, so if you guys will turn, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, as you guys turn there, let me uh, just remind you guys that are with us this morning that uh, we are at 9.15 doing uh, two different electives here uh, in the same area here in our college space. And so uh, Aaron Kennedy, our director of college women, is leading an elective for girls uh, on a, a book Linda Della wrote called Satisfy My Thirsty Soul. And some of our guy interns are also doing elective for guys and girls on church history. And so uh, if Sunday mornings kind of overwhelm you and you're looking for a spot, even on Sunday morning, for just something smaller, uh, something a little bit more interactive, let me encourage you to check those out. Uh, we'll be doing those for the next four or five weeks, again, at 9.15, right here in this space. Uh, you can guys can enter in from the parking lot at these doors right here. And so we'd love for you to check that out, come be a part of that, uh, just a great spot on Sunday morning to find a little bit of a different experience here than some of these big services. And so we're thrilled you're with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to pick up actually this morning and look at verses 13. Thirteen to twenty, but I'm going to begin us in just verses thirteen and fourteen. Paul writes, "For food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. We pray with me, Father God, we give You great thanks for Your Word. Uh, we give You thanks for a written sense of, of an expectation of what is to come. Father, we sing this morning that a day will come that we'll be called to come awake, to come awake, that we will rise from the grave. And Father, I pray as we look at that day, as we look at that reality this morning, Lord, I pray that you would impress its truthfulness upon our hearts. I pray that you would also make clear even the implications for that future day in the present and what it means to live in a physical body that you've created and that you've granted to us. Father, I pray that we would live in our bodies uh, in a manner that would honor you. Father, I pray this morning, even as we look at a passage uh, that will challenge us, Lord, I pray that you would um, use this time however you see fit. Father, for those of us who are just distracted and have things on our minds, even during worship, Lord, I pray that you would uh, give a stillness to our hearts, um, that you would allow our, our souls to be still, um, that we would know that you are God, that we would sense your Spirit's presence and speaking and leading to us this morning. Father, I pray even for myself that you'd move me out of the way, that you would uh, use me however you see fit, and that you'd allow this time to be exactly what you intend in our lives this morning. Father, I pray that wherever we're coming from this morning, Lord, that you would meet us and that you'd speak to us, that you'd open our eyes and soften our hearts and allow this time to be truly transformational in our lives as we think about ourselves, as we think about our bodies, and even as we think about the future, Lord. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Uh, Well, if you've been here for a little while, you've kind of gathered from me. I'm kind of a guy who likes puns. I like word plays. I love uh, people doing unique things with words. And so, one of my favorite things to do is run across businesses and their slogans and the way they try to market, all right? And so, I've run across a few slogans that are some of my favorite. They kind of are catchy, and yet they sometimes don't exactly communicate probably exactly what they're going for, all right? So, uh, here's a few examples. Uh, From a tire shop in Milwaukee, they have this slogan invite us to your next blowout. I kind of like it, all right? Hence the pun, all right? Uh, here's one for him, a plastic surgeon. Hello, can we pick your nose, all right? Imagine seeing that on their front door. Or how about this one? All right, uh, I'm an electrician. Let us remove your shorts. I know this is church, but that's just too funny, all right? Um, or how about this one? Uh, towing company, we don't charge an arm and a leg. We want toes. See the pun? Ah, all right. <laughs> One last one, I promise, okay? Uh, Sign in front of a funeral home, drive carefully, we'll wait. All right? Again, on a series about heaven and hell, I have to get one more death one in there, right? So, um, I love these because they're just slogans. They're they're little catchy things that you're going to remember and plague you for the rest of the week, but they get the point across of what they're about. Uh, the Corinthians this morning, we're going to come across, and actually verse 13, we're going to see in this passage, in a sense, we're going to come across a Corinthian slogan. A little something that kind of communicated what they believed, particularly about the central question we're going to ask this morning. And that's about the physical body, particularly what's going to happen to our body. We talked and touched briefly on this a little bit last week when we asked the question, where do people go when they die? Part of that was a discussion about the body. We're going to look a little bit more at that this morning. And then its implications, not just for the future. What's going to happen in our body in the future? But even then presently, in light of what's going to happen in the future, then what does it mean for the present uh, life that we live in the physical body? So that's where we're going to go this morning. Uh, Really, as we kind of begin, what we're going to see is that verse 13 really is the Corinthian slogan. As Paul writes in verse 13, it's not actually Paul speaking. He is is writing, but he's, he's, in a sense, quoting from the Corinthians as to what they said. So verse 13 really isn't Paul's teaching. It is actually the Corinthians. Notice what the Corinthians said. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. The Corinthians kind of had a slogan. They said that food is for the stomach, the stomach is for food, but each of these God will eventually one day do away with. They viewed the physical body as just a set of appetites, a set of desires or urges that ought to be satisfied, but a day will come when both are irrelevant and both will be wiped away. Not just the stomach who gets hungry, but the food that satisfies the stomach, the very physical bodily appetites and desires of the body, the Corinthians said God will one day do away with. In a sense, as you kind of look at that, the question becomes then, if that's what the Corinthians viewed of the physical body, then what do we do? In many ways, uh, I ran across, uh, we had a little picture. This is, uh, if you guys haven't met our child, this is our little girl Caroline, all right? She is almost two, and I know this is just a pure, shameless reason to show you how precious she is, all right? so. Um, but about a month ago, literally a month ago, Marcy actually went ahead and bought her Halloween costume, all right? so, And as you can notice... We're not even in October, but the Halloween costume has already made its way out, right? So uh, this weekend she was playing in her little pig outfit. That's the little headgear, and then it's got a whole little pig body that goes with it. Black leotards and, like... Big hooves, all right? Uh, it is way too much, all right? But even in a photo shoot, uh, we could not keep her little head mask on her for more than probably a minute, all right? So even between photos, we're having to constantly put it back on. She's constantly pulling it off. And the reality is a day will come, maybe even in another year, that, that she would have been caught dead in something like this, all right? The, in many ways, it's just simply a costume that she's going to one point shed off, all right? I, I think in many ways, the Corinthians viewed the physical body just like a Halloween costume. Right, the physical body was, in a sense, an earth suit. It was something that you and I are, are imprisoned within and will one day come a time in which we will be freed and we will shed off this costume like a snake sheds off its skin. Right, That's what the Corinthians viewed and thought of the physical body. and In light of that, they thought the physical body will one day be completely eradicated and done away with. The question is, how did they get there to that idea? In fact, I would argue to you, if you've ever been to a, a Christian evangelical funeral, What you and I hear really isn't that different from what the Corinthians were saying, right? Imagine Sister Mary in a casket and a pastor who's residing over Sister Mary, speaking to a family on the front row who's grieving her loss, and what does that pastor often say? How does he speak of Sister Mary? Sister Mary is no longer here. Sister Mary has departed. She's left behind this earth suit, and she's now freed from it. No longer comprised by this physical body that she suffered in, but she is now free from the physical body, no longer constrained by this prison or this earth suit that she had. I think many even Christian funerals are quoting pretty much and speaking just like the Corinthians spoke, that the physical body was nothing but an earth suit that you and I would shed off. The question is, though, how did they get there? How do we get there? How do the Corinthians get there? I think, actually, I want to double back to a little bit of what we talked about last week. So I think we're going to see that how they get there and how they, they speak and we speak of the physical body really isn't that far off from a little bit of what we were talking about last week. In fact, what I want to do is show you a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, that's referred to, in a sense, humanity's naked state. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and the verses I'm giving you are what I would call the would-you-rather passage, all right? If you've ever played the game Would You Rather, again, it's like two awful ideas or possibilities that you have to make a hard choice between, right? Um, you sure you guys have played that game? I think Paul is going to do the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He's going to talk about two non ideal states that you're going to have to make a choice between, and we're going to see Paul's preference. But I think at 2 Corinthians 5, they get some of us off on the wrong track because it's actually pretty, pretty short sighted. Notice what he says in this, uh, Would You Rather passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul begins, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. Let me kind of stop real quick and say, Paul is speaking of the physical body. And he's going to use several analogies for the physical body. It's going to be tents, it's going to be buildings, dwellings, but it is clothes. It is, in a sense, all figures of speech for the physical body. And So I'm going to kind of insert body in, even as we read, to make it a little more clear. For we know that if the earthly tent, this body, which is our house, this body, is torn down. We have a building, another body from God, a house, a body not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house or body we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling or our body from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, that body from heaven will not be found naked. Notice he's doing a couple of things. He's speaking one of a physical body that you and I are in now in which we groan in. And he's speaking of another body to come uh, that we will eventually put on. But even as he speaks of those two bodies, he talks about a possibility in which you and I could be found naked. Well, what is he referring to? Notice he doesn't say nude because nude always denotes classiness, artistry, without clothes, right? But he says naked, naked, all right? Naked never is good, all right? If you're nude, it's usually artistic. If you're naked, it means you're up to something that's no good, all right? Naked here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, not good, all right? But what does he mean? What's he saying? He says this, Uh, For indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan because we do not want to be unclothed or naked, but to be clothed with that body. Knowing that while we are at home, now notice the two possibilities here. While we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And yet I prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Do you notice the two possibilities that Paul puts out? Either that you and I can be present in the body, but absent from the Lord, or that you and I can be present with the Lord, but absent from the body. Paul's going to, in a sense, put out a, two possibilities of a would-you-rather. And what Paul's going to say is, I would rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord. In fact, he's going to refer to that stage and that existence as one that is naked, all right? Unclothed. In fact, that's why we talked a little bit last week that what happens when you and I die is we go to a place in which we are waiting on a resurrection body. What death is is the ripping apart of the material body from the immaterial soul. Death is unnatural. It is a ripping apart of all that God created and brought together. And so death rips apart the physical body from the immaterial soul, and you and I are in the presence of the Lord, according to Paul, and without a body. There's two possibilities, really, of what Paul's talking about here. Either he's talking about the fact that when you and I die, we go straight, if we know Jesus Christ into the presence of the Lord, and have a transitional body, or we have no body. We're just a spirit being waiting for the resurrection of our body that we just sang about. Come, come awake, rise up from the grave. The body that would rise up from the grave and be reunited with us. And so as the Corinthians spoke, and as you hear sometimes at funerals, really the idea of death and the ripping apart of the body without the reunion and the exaltation of the body is not a Christian hope. The Christian hope is not for the escape from the physical body, but it is for the exaltation of the physical body. Again, the Christian hope is not that you and I would be released from the physical body, but this physical body one day that we've grown in would be restored, resurrected, and renewed. That is the Christian hope. In fact, that Christian hope gets spread and spoken of all throughout our Bible. That is absolutely essential to what we're hoping on. Notice Paul is going to say it in verse 14. He says, Now God has not only raised the Lord, but he will also raise us up through his power. It's not just this mythical spiritual raising up. It is literally speaking about the physical body. The physical body that you and I have right now will be resurrected and renewed. In fact, we see this idea all throughout our Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 23, Paul says, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our body. Our hope and what salvation is all about is not just a mythical forgiving of sins. Jesus on a cross didn't just die to redeem your immaterial soul. He died to redeem not just your soul from the penalty of sin, but he died to resurrect and renew your physical body as well. What is the Christian hope that you and I have is the exaltation, not just of our soul, but of our body together. Again, has God created us. In fact, he's going to say it also, Philippians chapter 3, notice what he says of those who know Jesus Christ. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state in conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has. Again, notice that our body as it is now in its humble state will be resurrected, renewed, and made likeness to his body that is glorified. One last passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Ultimately, what you and I are hoping for is not release from our physical body, but the resurrection of that body. Ultimately, what you and I are hoping for is not just that we would be in the presence of the Lord non-bodily, but that that body that we were pulled and ripped out of will one day be resurrected and reunited with us and that we will be just as God had created us from the beginning. Notice the implications really for what this means are huge. Uh, Paul is going to speak pretty powerfully here at the beginning of the passage really about the future of our body. And if you think that's irrelevant, what he's going to do in the rest of the passage is talk about when you and I miss what is the future of our body, it has huge ramifications for the present lives in our body. When you and I don't realize what's going to happen to our physical body in the future, you and I live in this body in a completely different way than God intended. The idea of resurrection is not just irrelevant. It's not insignificant. It is huge, not just because Christ promised it, but it's huge because the reality of what we believe about our future body is going to impact how we live in this body today. In fact, what Paul is going to do in the rest of our passage is he's going to turn the corner and basically show the Corinthians and you and I that in light of what they misunderstood about the physical body, it was having a huge uh, uh, implications for for what they were missing even in the present. And so what he's going to do in the rest of the passage is correct the present uh, ramifications of their incorrect belief. And he's going to show you that when you miss what's going to happen to the body in the future— you're going to miss really what God intended even in the present. And so Paul is really going to shift his focus from the body's future to the body's present. And what he's going to say is that if you and I miss the reality of what's coming, you and I will bring a disgrace to the body now. A future misunderstanding about resurrection leads to a disgracing of the body right now. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, you thought that the body was just a set of appetites that God would do away with, and you've completely missed the glory that is the physical body. And so he comes back in in this section. He's going to basically say, notice in verse 13 again, notice what Paul says. They say food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. And then Paul comes on the heels of that slogan and he tries to correct it. He says in verse, uh, the latter half of 13, yet the body is not for immorality. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But what I want you to notice is really what he narrows in on here. And he says, but the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. It's not just that we're going to talk about an eschatology of the body of what is to come. We're going to spend a little time this morning talking about a theology of the body that it is right now. What is your physical body? And how does its future reality impact its present uh, situation and how you walk in it? I think when you miss the future reality of the body, you bring a disgrace to the body. Because what God has created, he created bodily and embodied. He created material and immaterial. We looked at this a little bit last week, that God designed the very presence of your body. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, we said that God took the dust of the earth, he he formed humanity, and then he breathed into that form, and man became a living being. You and I became alive when God took the the material, and he brought the breath of life, which was the immaterial, and he wedded those together integratedly so that you and I could live. Death is the ripping apart of what God created from the beginning. And so what you and I see is that God created us bodily, all right? In fact, it's not just that he created our presence that way, but he created us to be praised bodily. God creates Eve out of Adam's rib and he brings e- Eve to Adam and we find in Genesis chapter 2 really in a sense I think one of the first biblical pickup lines all right? notice what Adam says to her okay? this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called Whoa, man woman alright um, <laughs> he's amazed not by her soulish qualities by her character he's, he's noticing her physicality All right, this is the garden this is impurity but notice what Adam is praising He's praising her body, all right? He, he sees her and she sees that he's beautiful. She see, he sees that she shares uh, commonality with his own bodily existence and he praises God and he praises her for her body. The body God created and he created it to be praised. The body is with honor because God created it for you and I, not to be dismissed as if something we were going to shed off like a snake one day, all right? It's not just that he created it to be praised, but we find also that he created it to enjoy its passions, all right? There's a reason why you and I enjoy a good drink, a good food, a good experience. All right. There's a reason why, if you've ever tried Starbucks new salted caramel mocha right now, uh, it's heavenly. All right. Um, Dr. Pepper, nectar of the gods. All right. Uh, you and I are created to enjoy that which we taste. All right. It's not just that which we eat. I mean, the entire experience that you and I have bodily is meant to enjoy its passions. All right. Sex, God created so that you and I would enjoy it. Again, that we would enjoy it within the confines of how he called us to experience it. But again, sex is something that was not an afterthought to him. He created us to enjoy that, to embrace that, and to delight and worship him in light of it. All right, The passions, the, the appetites, the desires of the body God created, and they're good, they're meant to be enjoyed. The reality, though, is that sometimes when we think the body is only a set of appetites, we land in a place that is not what God intended. All right? In fact, what we're going to see as we kind of walk through this is that ultimately God, what he intended for the body, is that uh, not just that it will be praised, but what we find is in light of the fact that it's going to last for all of eternity, you and I ought to treat it with honor now. The very things that you and I know won't last, we treat very differently than things we think we're going to have a future with. Uh, So if you're here this morning and you're renting a house somewhere, or you're living in an apartment, you treat it differently than if you owned it. The reality of where you live, very many of you aren't going to be living there in 10 years, right? If you're still in Dunhall in 10 years, I'm so sorry, right? Um, If you're still in an apartment with a child one day or two kids running crazy in another stage of life 10 years from now, that's probably not all that you hoped if it's the same apartment as today, right? With students running everywhere, right? You and I are living in places now that we won't be living down the road. And therefore, you and I sometimes treat where we live with a different sense of honor than where we would if we owned it. So, for example, I ran across a story I've heard years ago of some college guys that were living in a place, and they were playing paintball in their home. All right, so... (laughs) But in the year, there were paintball splatters all over the walls. Walls had holes. Doors were hanging off the hinges. Windows were blown out, right? Because they didn't care because they weren't living there next year. Forgot about the deposit they weren't going to get back, but that's another story, right? Even driving through neighborhoods, I can tell who's owning and who's renting by who waters their lawn or who mows it, right? Uh, so for you guys who are renting, just water a little bit, all right? You may have to mow, but that's all right, all right? You and I treat things that we're not going to last completely different than the things that we think we own or will last. So for the Corinthians who thought the body would not last, they treated it with a disgrace because they didn't think it was that important. But if the body will be resurrected, it is valuable, it is honorable, and so you and I are to treat it with great regard and great honor. That's why Paul will end this section in chapter, uh, verse 20, and he says, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You and I with our physical bodies are to glorify God himself, because he's granted us this as a stewardship that we are to possess, but we're to use it to honor him. One of my favorite verses comes in the psalm, Psalm chapter 139, and, and Psalm says that you and I are wonderfully and uh, fearfully made. Even though the physical body is not all that God intended it from creation, it is still, even in its fallen state, glorious and honorable. It still reflects the very creative handiwork of God. So let me challenge you, if you're here this morning and you're dissatisfied with your body, there's an element to which you're actually dissatisfied with God. If you're looking at yourself and you've always thought, hey, I wish it was this way, I wish I was this way, I wish I was taller or shorter, I wish I didn't have the amount of weight I have. Ultimately, your dissatisfaction with your physical body is a dissatisfaction primarily with God who is the creator. Your body is meant to bring exaltation to him, you're meant to praise him for what he's granted you. And sure, (laughs) things aren't all like we would like them to be or like they will be in a day to come. But even with what is, there's an element of what we experience and what we embrace in which we're meant to respond and worship with what he's given us. So let me challenge you, in the midst of your dissatisfaction, remember there's an element of what this is that is meant to bring worship, not dissatisfaction, not idolatry. You and I are meant to take a look at what God has given and praise him for it. What's interesting, though, is when we miss the honor that is due our bodies, it leads to a division of our very human experience. Notice where Paul goes next in verse 15. Notice when you and I miss the honor that is due to the body, notice what happens to our very experience itself. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is, the one, is one body with her? For he says "The two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Well, how in the world do we get from resurrection to prostitution? (laughs) What is Paul doing here, right? I think what Paul is trying to do is he's he's actually picking up on what the Corinthians said about food, and he's going to switch the analogy to come about sex. And what he's going to say is that sex is far more than a bodily experience. That when you and I think our body is just a set of appetites that are irrelevant to the rest of our life, a division occurs in our very existence, in in our very experience, that is so not what God intended. Particularly, sex is far more than the satisfaction of an urge. All right, Sex is far more than the satisfaction of an urge. And what our culture has told us is that sexuality is just an aspect of who we are that doesn't necessarily bear into play with the rest of us. And yet, as we look through the scriptures, it was really, I think what Paul is going to do here with the body, what he's going to tell you and I is that not just in light of what's to come with resurrection, but our bodies are going to be reunited with us to come. But They're also a huge part of our lives now. Your bodily existence is not an aspect of your life. It is integrated with every aspect of your life. Your sexuality is all about yourself emotionally, mentally, relationally, and even spiritually. It is not a side component of your life. It is integrated with the entirety of who you are. And so notice what our culture has told us and said about even your generation. I think this is striking. The most striking shift in teenage and 20-something sexual behavior in the last decade is the disconnect between sex and emotional involvement. Really what's happening for a lot of y'all with what our culture is telling you is that sex is something that is completely different than relationships and emotional involvement whatsoever. So you can have a sexual experience, but you don't even need to have a relationship whatsoever. Because you can date, you can get with whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want, but it's not an exchange of a whole person in a committed relationship. And so more and more sex is being compartmentalized away from the very existence of who we are emotionally, mentally, relationally, and even spiritually. In fact, one of my favorite quotes comes from a guy named Louis Smeads, and he says this, We cannot take our bodies to bed with someone and park our souls outside in the car to wait. Our sexuality defines and involves the entire integration of who we are. Sex is going to impact you emotionally. It's going to impact you physically. It's going to impact you relationally, mentally, and spiritually. And what Paul is trying to do is show them that their physical experiences are not irrelevant to the spiritual life, but they are relevant and integrated and influential to every aspect of who you are. Sex impacts everything, all right. And we'll come back to that topic a little bit more. But I want to flip the analogy back to what the Corinthians were saying. The Corinthians saying, "Stomach is for food; food is for the stomach," and yet God will do away with both of them. Essentially, the Corinthians were saying, "Your bodily existence again is just a compartment of who you are," but even food. Even food impacts far more than our stomachs, right? Even emotions lead us sometimes to eat. All right, so there's a reason why in every movie or in much of your experiences for you girls that you get broken up with, you have a heartbroken. What happens? Why do you always end up with a movie at home and a carton of ice cream, right? Why do those emotions always lead to that edible choice? Uh, For us guys, uh, when we're stressed and when we're flustered, why do we have more of a tendency to eat salty and fatty foods, all right? For whatever reason, I will tell you, uh, when I'm not stressed, I drive home and lanes right on my way does not entice me, all right? But when I'm stressed, it's like a beacon in the night just calling to me, all right? And I just have to pull off, all right? It just happens every time. But I think it's not just emotions that lead us to eat. I think sometimes eating can lead to emotions as well, all right? Uh, Scientists have shown, uh, studied that chocolate causes a release of endorphins that raise your mood, that raise your heart rate, that make you more excited, which is why I keep a stash of chocolate in my cabinet, in my desk, all right? I need it every day, all right? Chocolate is heavenly. Uh, It impacts our emotions. It's not just the satisfaction of hunger. It has an impact beyond just hunger. It impacts our very emotions, um, I've told this story as well before, but it just kind of defines this issue. But uh, one of the first times that Marcy cooked for me, uh, we were not yet engaged. She had me over at her apartment, and she made a, a great Caesar salad. All right, It was delicious. We had a great conversation over the salad. Got to the end of the salad, and I asked her a simple question, Marcy, what's next? And she goes, what do you mean, what's next? I said, well, this is an opening appetizer salad, right? But where's the steak to come or the chicken, right? Uh, And she learned an important lesson that day. For a man, meat is always involved in the meal, right? Um, You don't have a meal without some meat, all right? It was a great lesson, but I also was impacted hugely in that evening myself. I'll tell you, and this may sound really superficial to you girls, but something happened in my mind and in my heart when she cooked for me, all right? All of a sudden, I began to see this relationship, and I actually began to feel about it differently in light of that experience and moment. I actually began to think about marriage in a way I I had not yet. So for you girls, this may sound superficial, but the way to a man's heart is actually through his stomach. Good note, all right? Just a little piece for you. That's free of charge, all right? So here's the deal. Food, all right? Emotions lead you and I to eat. You and I eat, and it leads to emotions, right? Even food... Like sex is not just a bodily experience. It impacts us emotionally, it impacts us mentally, it impacts us relationally, and it impacts us even spiritually. Our whole experience as God has created us is integrated, all right? Everything that we do with our body has an impact on our spiritual life, it has an impact on relationships, it has an impact on our emotions and our mind. In fact, what you notice even as he ends here, he says in verse 17, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. What is Paul saying? I think what Paul is saying is that the one who gives his body to the Lord is going to have devotion to the Lord. Notice that it is possible that our bodies would lead to a division of our very experience. But what God intended is that our bodies would lead to a devotion. It is possible that our bodies would lead to a division of our human experience. But what our bodies were intended to do was lead to a devotion as to who we worship. So if you're here this morning, and you are all here this morning, but even in worship, all right? Uh, I, and this is something I, I, I grasped a few years ago, and it's really changed even my experience of worship. Even in worship, you're meant to worship with your entire physical body. I think for so long, I was a vocal singer, hands in my pocket, and did nothing. And it doesn't mean that there's more spiritual way to worship than another, but you're you're created that even your entire body, your arms, your hands, your legs, everything is meant to move in worship. It is the entirety of who you are that's in responding to the Lord. We do that quite easily with football games. We do that quite easily with TV shows. But for whatever reason, in worship, sometimes we just delegate to the aspect of our mouths. But our entire bodies lead to a devotion. Devotion. And so it's not just food and sex that show you in a sense where you gravitate in the midst of stress, where you find comfort. But even in the mirror, we often find what we're devoted to. Some of us spend far too much time in front of the mirror, and it shows us really where our hearts are worshiping and what we're devoted to. Our bodies often highlight for us where our devotion lands us. And the challenge is when our bodies land us in devotion of that which is wrong, it leads to a damage that is deeply significant for us. When you and I miss not just what's to come of the body in the future, it leads to a disgracing of our body, a division of our bodily existence, and also a damage to our physical body. Notice uh, verse 18. Uh, He picks up and says, flee immorality. But then notice what he says. He's actually going to pick up on another Corinthian slogan. And here's what the Corinthians said. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body. The Corinthians thought that the body was just a set of appetites, and therefore sin or your spiritual life had nothing to do with the body, so therefore go do whatever you want with the body, was what the Corinthians said. Because it's irrelevant to your spiritual life and it doesn't impact you. And it's going to be destroyed, so what does it matter? And yet Paul comes back and says, No, 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 that's that's not true at all, and he says this, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Sin impacts us physically. It's not just an element that is spiritual and, in a sense, uh, apart from reality or apart from our body, but it impacts our very body as well. And so let me challenge us. As you think about your body, realize that it can cause damage in many ways. Honestly, I was watching a football game last night, and a receiver goes to the end zone and gets just uh, nailed by two cornerbacks coming in, and he laid motionless on the ground for a while. Uh, And then the same thing happens every time the carts come out, they put them on a stretcher uh, and you're waiting to see the extremities move. You know, you want to make sure that everything's okay. And so in the midst of those moments where someone just gets run over, the first thing that you do is you kind of go through a body inventory where you're making sure everything's working. All right. I I think for some of us, we've been damaged by sin that we're actually in that moment where a bodily inventory might be nice uh, to walk through and go, hey, uh, what's working as God intended it and what's not working at all. In fact, I think if we think about our bodies, we can walk through them and think about our eyes particularly. What do our eyes notice? Where do our eyes gaze? What is it that we're taking in visually? Because what we're taking in visually has an impact that is significant. For some of us, we're looking at things we ought not to look at, and it's causing a damage not just to our spiritual eyes but to our very physical being as well. Let me tell you guys, pornography will impact and be a detriment to your marriage. Pornography is setting a pattern physiologically that you think sex is something that it's not and it will uh, rain deeply and devastatingly on a marriage that you're going to enter into. But it's not just our eyes that can bring about damage. I think even our ears and our hearts can cause a damage. For some of us, it's not necessarily what we're looking at, but it's what we're hearing, what we're seeing, and then eventually what's causing a a stirring within our very hearts. What is it that you love? A lot of what we take in is causing a a change and a a molding of our very hearts and a determination of what we love. Let me ask you, what do you love? (laughs) Are you dissatisfied because you don't have something? Are you dissatisfied because someone does but you don't? Because your heart is being wrapped around something that you're allowing to come in that's causing you to think uh, and have a value set and a sense of what life is that is so not what God intended. And as a result, therefore, our feet and our hands had places that God didn't intend. When our heart starts to drift after something that is going to cause damage, our hands begin to grab and our feet begin to take us places that God didn't intend. And therefore, you and I begin to have experienced something that is so not what God intended. It's death. When you and I begin to walk places, grab things, and step into situations that God did not intend, it does not bring life, but it brings death. Again, not necessarily ripping a part of our body from our soul, but when we pursue sexuality not according to what God intended, it causes a breaking within our very lives Some of us end up far more alone than we ever thought we were beforehand. We keep seeking after something that we think will fix us or provide for us, but it won't. And instead it destroys and it steals all that God intended and wanted to give us. Lastly, let me ask you even about your mouth. What is it that you're saying? As you walk through your body, your mouth was intended to bring life to people. And yet for some of us, whether it's our humor, whether it's our gossip, as we look at even that kind of a body inventory, we can be bringing damage or causing damage even on ourselves as we look at our physical body. Your bodies are as much, if not hugely significant, to how you walk with the Lord. Your bodies are not irrelevant. Your bodies really are their focal point. And it is these symptoms that you see really where your devotion is and where you are uh, pursuing Christ. Your bodies say so much. Let me give us uh, two more challenges as we kind of wrap up. Uh, let me also just challenge you not just to do a bodily inventory that's negative, looking at, hey, where is damage being caused or, or coming at me? But let me also challenge you to move in the positive direction and to build patterns for health. I'll be honest, walking through this section this week made me realize I've got to start running. I've got to start watching my food choices because this is the one vessel I have. And to the duration that it can go is the duration that I have an opportunity to have an impact for Jesus Christ. And if this vessel is destroyed or if this vessel gets tired, if this vessel gets diseased that I could have avoided, I miss out on what God would have and could have intended to do with my life. This body is your one vessel for which you get an opportunity to have an impact in this life. And so uh, it's not just about safeguarding damage, but it's about making a pursuit toward that which is healthy and that which is positive. (laughs) Let me end this also on this last idea. To behold disability through the eyes of eternity. To to behold disability in the eyes and through a lens of eternity. As you and I come across people who are uh, physically limited or who have disabilities, they have inherent glory and honor because God has created them. Yet in our culture, because they seemingly don't provide, we overlook them. And I think we disgrace them. And ultimately we don't see them as God is going to restore them. A lady named Joni Erickson Tata leads an incredible ministry to those that have been disabled or to those that have been injured. And she writes this about her ministry and about even her own emphasis as she looks towards eternity and the resurrection that will come. She says, I can still hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body. Light, bright, and clothed in righteousness. Powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone's spinal cord injured, like me, or someone who is several palsied, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis? No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. Uh, Ultimately, as we think about a resurrection to come, uh, it's not just our bodies that are going to be resurrected, but all of those who are struggling. And so let me challenge us as you look at your own self, as you look at those even in our culture today, that you begin to look at people differently in light of what's to come. Even more so as I close out, let me close out with a sense of what's coming next week. Um, I I think this morning really sets up the discussion that we're going to have next week. Because if what eternity is, is a resurrection of the physical body with our immaterial souls, then eternity itself is a physical existence. Let me say that again. If God is going to resurrect the physical body so that you and I are physical in the age that is to come, then that age that is to come is one that is physical as well. We're going to talk next week, actually next Sunday, about heaven. And I think what we're going to find and what we're going to discuss, really, I think is one of the most surprising mornings we're going to have in this entire series. Because I think heaven, for us, I think many of us aren't excited about it at all because we have no idea what it's about. It is not an unending worship service, all right, as if that would be bad, all right? Uh, but it is not church forever. It is not angels on harps in clouds singing and weirdly looking weird, right? What is heaven, all right? Heaven is far more familiar to our experience now than you may realize. And yet as we look at it, I think it's going to be far more unfamiliar to whatever our expectations have ever been. Because a physical resurrection requires and necessitates a physical eternity. What heaven is going to be and what it's going to look like and what our experience is going to be is far more stunning and surprising than anything I think we've ever realized. So we're going to spend next Sunday really talking about having a look at Revelation chapter 21 and 22 as a jumping off spot. But let me encourage you to come back next week, because I think next week is going to be really, really fascinating. And I think for some of us, frankly, shocking. So let me pray for us. Father God, I give you great thanks that you have promised us not just that you will wipe away our sins and that you will give us forgiveness of of our sins and eternal life, but that you've promised us even a, a restoration of all that you've created. Uh, that you've promised that it's a the day will come that you will resurrect our physical bodies, that you will restore creation even as it was intended, with a new heavens and a new earth. And Father, I pray that as we look forward to that day, Father, I pray that its implications in our present would be found. Father, I pray that we would see even in our own bodily existence a means to have a devotion to you that, is, that stands out. Father, I pray that you'd allow us that, to not divide our experiences and our spiritual life from our bodily life, That you would allow us to see, even as you created us, those were to be integrated. Lord, I pray that we would hand our bodies to you. That you have bought us with a price and you call us to glorify you with our body. Father, I pray that we would do that. pray that we would, this uh, afternoon, this this week, we would take some time and just ask uh, to what extent are the instruments and and the elements of our body devoted and given to you. And to what element are they, in a sense, reserved from you? And, and without your influence and without your mastery, without your leadership, Lord, I pray that we would devote ourselves, that we would give ourselves and, and offer ourselves even as a living sacrifice with our very physical bodies. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you give us a sense of where we are uh, not handing that over, Lord, and that you'd give us the courage to look at that and to hear that from you. Why don't you give us some time just to pull away and to hear from you speak? And Lord, I pray you come next week as we look at heaven. I pray that you would give us eyes to see something that maybe we've never really taken a look at and seen. And in that, Lord, I pray that you would grow an excitement even as we look, even this week maybe, at Revelations and look at heaven. I pray that you would begin to find and allow us to find in that a design that's going to be fulfilled and a satisfaction found unlike anything we could ever imagine. And I pray that our lives would begin to have more and more trajectory towards that day in light of living in light of that day. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. You guys, thanks for being here this morning and we'll see you guys next week.